Hello, ladies and gentlemen. It's your favorite president. Uh, I don't even need to introduce myself because by now you should know me, unless I'm gaining new listeners, which I believe I am. As usual, I just want to start by saying thank you to all my listeners and thank you for everyone who has downloaded my podcasts and my episodes, uh, 15 in total. I am releasing these things like someone who has just discovered sex or, you know, in a war shooting jokes. Uh, so I want to thank you immensely. I am so proud uh, of you. I'm proud of the fact that a number of you are listening uh, to the podcast. Uh, and it's not like I have a league table, but one of the things about podcasting, because I'm relatively new to it, is you constantly check the analytics, analytics which is the the how many downloads you're getting and which countries and so on and so forth. Right now, it's, if I had to do a chart, a league table, um, Ola Onabule is top on the charts in terms of number of um, podcasts that have been downloaded. And um, I say this because I'm not putting my future guests under pressure, uh, but he's top on the list at the bit. But I think I might actually put you under pressure that you have to beat Ona Boule because uh, he's top at the moment. He's number one in terms of number of downloads. Um, I am currently in England, and I have to say to you, the weather is shit. Uh, it is extremely shit. I woke up this morning preparing for the podcast, and I looked outside my presidential palace, and it was raining cats, dogs, and fish. I say fish because uh, what's happening right now is... Britain still hasn't got his oven ready deal. I think he should have called it a fridge deal because he likes hiding in the fridge. Um, and I hear they now have gunboats. And uh, considering that I am an army officer, uh, it's shit. It's literally shit that you are using gun boats to uh, <laughs> protect fish. Uh, and it's just made me realize that maybe it's time for me to actually leave this country, but I shall miss the fish and chips. I, I need to go back to Baghdad. I've had enough of this miserable weather. Now they're saying they're fighting over fish. Um, it's just ridiculous. Anyway, with no further ado, I want to introduce you to my next guest. He is based in Egypt, and he's one of my many Middle East friends. Uh, his name is Saif AK, comedian. And we met, wow, I think we met well over, uh, uh, probably about 10 years ago, if not more or less, uh, 11 years ago, if not more or less, or maybe nine years ago. But we met on social media. Seven or eight years ago. Yeah, seven or eight years ago. And we met on social media. Um, we met on Instagram. And we've been communicating ever since. I call him my Egyptian Laughter Republic ambassador. And he has no choice but to accept that. And we did um, a recording at the very first lockdown um, in April, I believe. April, May. And... Uh, 
I've only just released the short clip of uh, what is a very fantastic recording. We were just having some banter and trying to deal with the lockdown isolation of it all at the time because it was relatively new. He is a fantastic comic. I know he had plans to book me and to bring me to Egypt until General COVID uh, arrived and messed up plans. Uh, so I am really pleased uh, to welcome my next guest, Saif, AK Comedian. How are you, Saif? Uh, peace. Assalamu alaikum to your listeners. Peace be upon you. Uh, and Mr. President, thank you for having me. Always a pleasure to do work with you on anything and in any capacity, except in a British member of parliament type of way where it involves, you know, those balls and the whips and the chains and the people's rights out the window. Uh, I, I was just gonna, the, the thing with the boats, the, the patrol boats, the gunboats, I, I, I can't believe we've reached a stage in history where we're asking the Navy, the Royal Navy to, to not patrol the waters for drug dealers and human trafficking no, 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 no. French fishermen, that's the real threat to British security. Not terrorists, fishermen stealing English cod. And what is it that makes cod English or French? I always thought that they were Terran, you know, that fish carry Terran passports or ocean, oceanic passports. You know, I, I, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. I looked it up on the Guardian's uh, website. There was an article about that the British government are planning on, because apparently the British coastal waters are up to 200 miles off the English coast, which is ridiculous because the coastal difference between, like in the English Channel, between England and France is 21 miles. So does that mean that, you know, a hundred, you know, French people are going to be like, allez, allez, mes enfants, means come my children. Allez, les Anglais arrivent, les Anglais arrivent, the English are arriving. Et vous, tous les poissons de la vie de la maison, they want to have the fish from our houses, you know. Are, are English fishermen boats in the Royal Navy going to send like old World War II hurricanes to patrol the skies across the, the French river? I don't understand. It's stupidity. I mean, but then again, that is what happens when you get the DNA of Donald Trump, the DNA of Nigel Farage, and a couple of sperm sackle cells of Adolf Hitler, put it through a cocktail mixer, pour it into a laboratory, and you get Boris Johnson. But like, no, seriously, I, I, I don't know. I mean, this, this thing over fishermen, fishing and fishermen's rights, it's ridiculous. You know, one of the, when it started, it's, you know, this is one of the reasons why I get really frustrated that I'm not in power and I'm not running the country. You know, I thought maybe perhaps in terms of the deal, you are, the problem is the fish. So why can't you add chips to it and give yeah. the Europeans chips, fish and chips, you know? Like a trade-off. Like a trade-off. Trade yeah, we I, consume so many chips, just give them chips. Just give them chips. I know they have their own and they call it French chips or whatever it's called. French fries. But, but if I was in power, safe, I will, you know, because capitalism is, a failure, as we can see, it's corrupt. So why don't you trade by butter? That's what you need to do. Trade by butter. Forget all not the barter, money. Barter, batter. Yeah, I like batter. that. Yeah. yeah, no, barter by batter. By batter, not butter. 
But uh, thank you, no, no, thank I you, know. thank you for joining me for that podcast. I, I I want to get to know you before we talk to the listeners about the subject that I have demanded that you talk I'm a about. Sagittarius, I like long walks on the beach. <laughs> yeah. But you said you seem to have you. So you're from Egypt. You were born in Egypt. Um, well, no, no. Uh, I'm half. My my heritage is Egyptian and Iraqi, uh, and on the Iraqi side, it's also got Kurdish blood from my my Mimo, as the Americans call them, or my Nana. My grandmother is Kurdish from Kurdistan. Um, I was born in Saudi Arabia. And when I was big enough or old enough to be carried in the luggage, the family moved to the UK. And I lived in London for 30 years, as you can hear from my strong British accent. Uh, you'd think I grew up in Knightsbridge or Putney or, you know, First Avenue or Jersey. Um, and uh, then I moved back here to Egypt in 2008. And I've been here ever since, wow. making adjustments. What a combination, Saudi Arabia, Kurdish, Egypt. Well, Saudi Arabia only in terms of where I was born. I don't have any citizenship or any allegiance. But you have, you have seen the world and, and uh, wow. As much, as much as I can see during my life, yeah. I, I, I've been blessed that way. Uh, yeah. I, but you, you haven't been profiled, have you, as a, someone who travels Oh God, a lot. of course I have. Of course I have. I, many years ago, when I was at university in Britain, I made the, uh, depends on your point of view. Some could say it was a mistake. Some could say it was a genius move on my part. I applied to work for MI5 and um, twice, and I got rejected twice from MI5. Uh, we, we know why now. We know why he got rejected. Well, I'm pretty sure they looked at my mobile phone history and they were like, no, 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 no. He would he'll betray state secrets for an ounce of weed. And I was like, how dare you? At least three ounces of weed. Then I'll sell the secrets. But yeah, yeah. you also uh, you also have an American accent. Well, sounds well thank you. I, I've been told I have what's known as a television accent or a East Coast accent or an accent from Atlanta or Georgia, not Russian Georgia next to, you know, Ukraine and all those uh, dirty so bombs. Yes. I have it all. Yeah. Duh. What's the comedy scene like in Egypt? Um, that is an interesting question. Mr. President, because a few years back, and we have to go back to like 2004, there was no comedy scene until yours truly did a comedy night here in uh, a little town called Agami, that's A-G-A-M-I, uh, which is 18 kilometers west of Alexandria. Uh, it's like a summery town, like where everyone comes in the summer. And then an axis of evil, which was Ahmed Ahmed, Maz Jabrani, and Dean Obadayla. They came in the, in the winter of 2007 and did some, uh, do you think you're funny, come make us laugh competitions for, the, for budding stand-up comedians here in Egypt. And back then, up until maybe 2013, 2014, there were a couple of English-speaking comedians 
in Egypt, but right now, as far as I know, I'm pretty much the main only English speaking comedian. And because of COVID, general COVID that, can we swear on your podcast or you'd prefer not to? General COVID, that real uh, a-hole destroyed the live industry here in Alexandria. But there is still a circuit in Cairo. There's uh, several Egyptian-based and Arabic-speaking promoters, bookers for stand-up comedy in Egypt. I myself used to run Ronin Comedy, and Ronin Comedy is kind of sabbatical at the moment because nobody's opening their venues for gigs because of COVID. And the ones that are are focusing on their Arabic-speaking audiences, and I focus on English-speaking audiences. It's really interesting. Yeah, general COVID has done quite a lot all over so many countries. And um, in some countries, they now have gigs where it's all saturated. You know, it's, 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 it's reduced. Saturated. Tell, me, tell, tell me more about this, this. Why was there a change from English speaking comedians to Arabic? Well, there was always there was always both we always had both in the circuit but the english-speaking comedians one by one started to emigrate out of egypt there was uh there was one comedian by the name of rami borai uh he's egyptian canadian uh heritage was here in egypt for a while and then he emigrated to the emirates to dubai There was the white Sudani, Omar Ramzi, who was an English-speaking act. He also emigrated to Dubai. Um, The thing is that the economy in Egypt, it's it's always super fluctuating. It's ups, downs, ups, downs, inflated prices, never deflated prices, lack of petrol, increase in petrol. So there's like all these different factors that push the English speaking acts that I know to emigrate. Also, there are a couple of comedians that do both. They're bilingual. They speak, they do Arabic material and they do English material. And they found that they were focusing more on their Arabic speaking audiences because Arabic is their first language. Me, Arabic is my third language. So. Okay. It, for me, it makes sense to just stick to English because that's my okay. first language. Cool. So, that, do you believe that there is opportunity for English-speaking people like me to come to Egypt and perform? Absolutely. Um, I was in touch with several venues that were very interested. Uh, one venue in particular here in Egypt called The Tap which is a chain of uh, bar restaurants. Uh, they, they have a beautiful stage. At, there's a branch, the Tap West, which is in an area of Cairo called 6th of October. There's Tap East, which is in Tagamo Khemis. Then they have uh, Tap in Maadi. Maadi is an area inside Cairo. And then they have Tap North, which is along the North Coast on the beach communities. And they were very interested in booking English-speaking acts. And I told them about, I was going to bring English-speaking acts this year. And this was a meeting I had in February. And then general COVID blitzkrieged everyone's plans in March. I mean, literally, the Germans are like, you know, Germans are waking up in their graves going, was is that? 
das ist ein Blitzkrieg 2.0, 2.0, ja, 2.0, you know, two point, Blitzkrieg 2.0. Yeah, got it. <laughs> In case any of your listeners or viewers don't understand German. Okay, um, go on. No, no, and they were, so there were a lot of venues really, really interested in the idea. But then as soon as COVID happened and everybody started like a 500-seater is now a 250-seater. A 50-seater is a 25-seater. So everything has now been reduced to allow social distancing. But what's really crazy and funny is that venues, uh, places where the general public go in and out of, they're doing their best and the government are doing their best. But there's just so many dumb people out there, you know, like, like as you see on Facebook feeds and you see on YouTube channels and Instagram and on social media generally, you're gonna get people that are like, you know, I don't need to wear a mask. I don't need to take a vaccine. I don't need to stick something up my ass just because the government says so. You know, you got all these dumbass people who suddenly, they never went to medical school, they never did scientific research, but they know more than scientists and doctors. Never did any medical research, but they know more than medical people. They know more than scientists, even though they have no degree. Some of them didn't even finish school, but they know more. But anyway, the same amount of stupidity you see on social media in the West. Here in Egypt, you'll see sometimes a lot of people, um, they'll be wearing their masks like this so instead of like you know that they'll be doing this like loads of people just walking around you know sometimes you'll see a lot of women and a lot of guys just be like hey how you doing yeah i'm good i'm good how are you i'm <coughs> i'm good how are you <coughs> you know they're all doing this kind of like you know petri dish existence and um i just stay home <laughs> That's the best way. That's the best way. Let's the talk. Way. Let's talk about your. I, I love what's behind you and all these windows. These windows. Uh, you're, you're not talking to me from the mosque, are you? Is this your home? Allahu Akbar, Allah. Not now, Sheikh. I'm in the middle of a Zoom conference. Do you mind? Um, <laughs> no, these windows, believe it or not are handcrafted uh, wow. from a special marketplace like every like every one of these little pieces all of them are handcrafted by hand and this was done in a marketplace of Cairo called Khan Khalidi uh, Khan Khalidi is where you would go to get like this kind of work handcrafted work yeah. uh, specialist jobs um, jewelry uh just all the kind of things that take skill and finesse to make and i remember going with my father and my mother to the to the to the workshop where the guy was making all of these windows there are 11 of them here i'll try i'll try just for the moment just to show you and your viewers exactly what i'm talking about so there's one two three four wow Use box <laughs> five, mm -hmm. six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. So, like those windows, actually, those windows there are very different to these, and those two windows and those two windows are very different 
to these windows right here. Okay. But it is a lovely, I do, I, I'm, I'm planning on selling the house and emigrating back to the UK and I'm planning on unscrewing and removing these windows all and bringing them with me to the UK. Well, we, I can we find the window big enough in a UK house. In a UK to, house, and apart from that, I'm sure the immigration people will, will want to make sure you vaccinated the windows. Uh, you know, depending on that what I time. vaccinated the windows, and I haven't like tried to smuggle heroin. Yeah, I just syringes. have to. Yeah, I just wanted to say one thing for for those who are listening to this. Uh, it's going to be on YouTube, so you'll be able to see the windows that. Uh, Safe was showing us, but if you're downloading it, you won't be able to see the windows. So you will just have to. Which is a good reason for your listeners go watch the YouTube video. Go, yeah, go watch the YouTube video. Also, just use your imagination because it's just so very, <laughs> it's just Sorry. such a very beautiful, beautiful. <laughs> It's just, it's just a, like the imagination part, like use your imagination and you think some people, some people are going to have weird thoughts of like these windows handcrafted. That's, mm. Yeah, exactly. Because it, it feels like one minute, it feels like when I look at the windows, uh, it feels like you're in charge. And then then when I see the outfit because you're wearing an Arabic outfit, uh, it definitely feels like you're in a mosque. Um, but yeah, thanks for sharing that because uh, it's always, that's the beauty of this comedy thing that I've been doing over the years, this meeting thing, people, gosh. meeting people from all over the world. And it's an opportunity to understand the culture, the heritage and, and so on and so forth. Uh, but I, I, I think you're going to have problems bringing those windows to, to the UK. And because it also depends on where you, you are going to live. So can you imagine going to hell on Hampstead or Hampstead or somewhere outside London, bringing those windows and basically saying you want to install windows? Uh, you, not, it's not going to happen. Well, to tell you the truth, uh, even though I grew up in London for 30 years, I fell in love with Scotland in 2005 when I went for my first fringe. Okay. Um, Patrick Monaghan, uh, mm. great comedian. You should get him on this. Yeah. Um, we knew each other from the start, like back yeah. in 2002, and yeah. he invited me up to the fringe in 2005. And actually, that's where I'm planning on moving to. I'm, okay. I'm planning on emigrating to Scotland. Yeah, but Scotland, England, Northern Ireland, Wales, uh, unless you are going to be living in an area like maybe they have like a Bangladeshi community. <laughs> Maybe the windows will be we okay in that part of the world, but not. <laughs> I don't, I <laughs> don't see. know if you'll. I don't know if you'll find windows like this because uh, this is a very what's known as arabesque. This is okay. a very arabesque art craft design, um, and it's very like. There are certain crafts that are across all Muslim slash Arabic speaking countries like carpet making or yeah. making uh, prayer beads mm -hmm. or uh, certain ornamental woodwork mm -hmm. to carry the Quran. But these windows in particular, this is actually very specific to Egyptians, uh, Algerians, possibly Tunisians, 
possibly Moroccans. It's a very North Africa, Southern Mediterranean. So like you would have seen in Cordoba and in South of Spain, when the Islamic empire expanded mm. to the South of Spain, a lot of these kind of windows would have been present in a lot of the houses. Okay, the so it's really interesting that we're still talking about the windows and I just find it really fascinating. So for my- uh, Windows are the key to the soul. So for my listeners and those who might not be watching this on YouTube when it's published, the best way to describe these windows is uh, depending on your mind, it looks like you're in jail at a time to look like <laughs> jail. <laughs> but also depending on your imagination, it looks like uh, you're in a mosque. Uh, it looks like you're in charge. So depending on what your, how your brain is designed, <laughs> They are Islamic. <laughs> they look Islamic. They look like you got a bunch of sheep, slaughtered them, and used the carcasses to make a mesh of a prison of the soul in a mosque. In a mosque. So, look, safe. Uh, let's move on from the windows, but that's been fascinating. Um, it's good to see you, and it's good to see you looking well. Ah. And, uh, we say the sweetest things, Mr. President. Yeah, I know. So we we what we do with this podcast, and I I've demanded that you should come and talk about a particular topic, uh, be it political. Um, and uh, as you know, the podcast is called "If Comedians Rule the World." And as a comedian, and we know we have comedians who have views about their respective governments depending on where they are, even though I am trying to find comedians who, who live under dictatorship and to invite them to my podcast so we can have a chat about, you know, what is it like performing comedy in, uh, under dictatorship rule? Because, uh, but- Well, um, Egypt is not a dictatorship. No, we it isn't. The Arabic Republic of Egypt. Yeah, definitely. We have elections. Yes. Yes, I know you do. I know, I know you've had revolutions that haven't been successful. Uh, but uh, we, we, yeah, you've had quite a few. Um, and interesting enough, when I uh, was based in uh, Nigeria many, many, many years ago, you had this very popular Egyptian president that I liked so much and he and uh, that yes I more said that assassinated yes. 19 I think it was 80 or 81 yeah. I just I just genuinely liked him as a person I don't know how well he was received in Egypt but clearly oh they... no he was he was loved he was definitely loved by uh, by many Egyptians um the the rumors go that in in egypt some people thought that sadat was a traitor to the arabs because he made a peace treaty with israel um yeah. after the i think it was the 1973 because there were two wars between egypt and israel mm -hmm. and uh he was at a, at a peace treaty that was overseen by jimmy carter mm -hmm. the american president back then then he was assassinated, and then we had Hosni Mubarak for 30 years. I mean, it takes longer to build a pyramid, but anyway, um, at least pyramids are more fun to look at. 
Yeah. <laughs> fun fact, there are nine pyramids at Giza. There are nine chunks in Toblerone and there are nine letters in Toblerone. <laughs> anyway, um, and then we had a revolution in 2011. We had uh, Mohamed Morsi was elected. And then we had a revolution in June, July, 2013. And now we have President Abdel Fattah al-Sisi. So it, it feels like um, we were going to the subject that you want to talk about, but it feels like um, Egypt has never ever recovered from Sadat. That's a very deep and profound uh, statement, and I would be inclined to agree with you because you could even say the same thing about like America never really recovered after November the 22nd, 1963, when JFK was assassinated. Yeah. I mean, it's the same. It's the same for. Um, it's really interesting what we are talking about. That we have people who are. I, by the way, I just believe that the world is suffering from a lack of leadership. That what the world has at the moment are these career politicians who are just there to enable themselves rather than enable their people. But if you look at history where you have prominent leaders who have made an impact once they disappear you know uh, sadat uh Nkrumah, so many of them there's a buto the libyan the libya president you know it's as if those, yeah it's as if those countries never ever recover because those people made rightly or wrongly made a lot of changes in the country and it's the same it's the same with what we're facing in the united kingdom like it or not um she was hated but margaret thatcher you know rightly or wrongly margaret, margaret thatcher hated by many because you have to be cruel to be kind and yeah, she yeah. Ruled an iron fist but the, 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 what i'm basically saying is that the country has never ever recovered since she left and then you had Tony Blair, those who, you know, oh, so you had John Major, then you had Tony Blair. Then, yeah, 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 I know, I know. But what I'm saying is that those that you see as leaders who are making the difference, or rightly or wrongly, once they are out of office, so Labour Party has never ever recovered from Tony Blair. Do you understand what I'm saying? You know, mm -hmm. um, the Conservative Party has never ever recovered from Margaret Thatcher. But look, it's just really fascinating. I wasn't planning to. To, to talk about assassinations, <laughs> uh, but it's 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 profound. It, it is a profound. It's profound, and it's and it's what's funny is like I take for example Lebanon had a prime minister, uh, Rafiq Hariri, and he was assassinated. Now, what a lot of people don't know about Rafiq Hariri uh, is that. Lebanon went through a civil war, as everyone knows. And Lebanon, Beirut in particular, was devastated by this war. This war lasted anywhere between 10 and 20 years, depending which historian you ask. Uh, some people think it even lasted 30 years because it was a war between Muslims, Christians, Dirzi, uh, Ba'ath, which are the political party that existed in Iraq and in Syria which is some kind of extension of communism and socialism. I'm not 100% sure. Um, he basically got all the top contractors and engineers, sat them in a room 
and asked them all, how long would it take to rebuild Beirut to as it was before the war, like the infrastructure, airports, ports, everything. How long would it take you all? What would you need? And he said, and they, on the contractors all said, we need about five or six years. He goes, you have three years. You have three years. And Rafiq Hariri paid for it out of his own pocket. Wow, he was that rich. He was that, he had, he had managed his finances so much. And also another thing people don't know about him was that at the same time, he financed the PhDs of multiple Lebanese uh, students. Wow. So in other words, he really focused on the future. And what do we always do in history when anyone ever comes and says, hey, everyone, I know the world is all crappy. I want to make it better. Kill that man. He yeah. wants to make people happy. You know, it's what they do. It's what they do. But if back to your podcast subject, if comedians rule the world, for starters, I get rid of all secret societies, but that's just a different thing for a different podcast if we want to see light of day. Um, I think one thing I would love to change is the cleanliness and our approach to the ecosystem. Like, it, it can change, yeah? I mean, like the way we're treating the coral reef or the way we're treating nature, the way we believe that we humans have the right to eat something and then throw the wrapper of it on the floor. Like that is our, like basically God was up there many millions of years ago going, you know, because he had a computer back then, you know, as I design the human beings, I'm going to, let's see, we're going to make them this, we're going to make them that. Oh, Gabriel, Gabriel, can you get me the reckless, uncaring prick genome off the shelf? Yeah, you'll find it next to the Hitler prototypes. Can you pass me that? Thank you. This is very blasphemous, I know. You know, making humans not care. And, you know, like they literally, human beings don't give a damn about the environment. And there's always this sort of like, well, it's not going to bother me. I'm going to be dead in X amount of years. Yeah, but future generations are going to are going to go through the, the plow of the of your greed and your stupidity. So I think if I could change one thing, it would be the environment, you know, to, to make everybody more environment friendly like uh, to not throw their garbage willy-nilly. I mean, I've posted it on my Instagram several times about how I have all the neighbors up and down the street and where I live. They will walk 30, 40, 100 meters to in front of my house and dump their garbage, not in a bin, just on the ground. Then later on, a couple hours later, some heroin junkie guy that drives a three-wheeler motorbike will bring his motorbike go through all the garbage, opening all the bags and like literally shaking all the bags empty, looking for cans and plastic that he can go and then sell so he can get his heroin hit for his next hit because, you know, heroin is more important than the environment. So like, and that's what I deal with, like on a daily basis. Um, can I just interrupt you for me in terms of oh. the environment? Because obviously I, I agree with you um, and I feel that at times that people need to take personal responsibility for their actions. I feel that at times people don't have a conscience. You see people walking on the street, they drink something and then they just drop it on the floor. Clearly, what is not working is people are not, uh, so I know in some countries they could find people for litter, for example. And at times that's not working. What what would you do differently if all these 
what I call weak laws don't want, you know, why don't, can't we decide to just shoot people for litter, like the stuff that happens in your house? Funny you should say that, because I don't know if it was Robocop 2 or 3 uh, when they tried to reprogram Murphy and instead of his three directives, they added all these different directives and, you know, like one of them was like no littering and there was some guy who was lighting a cigarette mm -hmm. and suddenly Robocop pulls out his gun and shoots bullets all around the guy who was about to light a cigarette. Mm -hmm. The cigarette drops to the ground and it goes, thank you for not smoking. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, so it's interesting. I like the idea of shooting people for living. But I, I, just think that, I just think that some of these laws are just very, very weak. People ignore them. Um, and, you know, this softly, softly approach, this democratic way of, it's almost like you want to put it to vote uh, whether you should drop litter or not drop litter. It just really annoys me. But... I like the idea it's of being I think it was in London where if you're caught littering, you get fined on the spot, like, I don't know. That, that doesn't happen. I don't think it's No, but London. here's the weird thing. But if you're busking or begging outside of a station, they will charge you three, four times as much. Yeah, I, you, you're absolutely right. Maybe spot fines. Maybe, maybe not even your spot fines. I would actually go as far as saying, People should, you know, uh, individuals should stop people and challenge people when they when they. They do, do that things. in Switzerland. Yeah. They do that. In different countries have approaches. Like if you go to Japan, I went to Japan in two thousand and two, and in Japan, you know, like how we today now have like you know a bin for paper, a bin for plastic, a bin for uh, aluminium, a pin for non-recyclable. Now in 2020 now whereas in 2002 18 years ago the japanese on every single like wherever you would have a bin to collect the garbage they had it separated take it one step further the japanese a lot of them love to smoke so what did the japanese do they add ashtrays to every lamppost like there are ashtrays all wow. over the place so you don't throw your cigarette buds Scotland started to get super strict with the people that were because like there are a lot of smokers in Scotland. Oh, I just throw the, the cigarettes like a jobby, just throw it on the ground, no bother. You know, they just like throw those cigarettes and they don't care. But now what the Scottish councils are doing are they're sending these little vans with 360 degree vision cameras on the roof of these vans. Mm -hmm. And if they see one person throw a cigarette, it's an on the spot. 50 pound fine and that was in 2014. Yeah. Yeah. so it is a case of like you know what if we're all talking about this softly softly i mean like i feel like sometimes governments want to focus on the bullshit and i'm sorry for swearing but it is bullshit like governments want to prefer to focus and get you all outraged on bullshit and not important issues like for example back to your question if comedians ruled, if I ruled the world, what would I do differently? I believe 100%, and this might, some of your listeners and viewers might agree with this. Some of them might disagree with it. Those that agree are enablers uh, that don't agree, I mean. I believe that racism and rape, 
not in the same category, obviously, as crimes go, but I believe 100% that racist groups and any individual caught, convicted, and proven to be a rapist should get the death penalty. Wow. That's just my opinion. And I know there's always going to be that softly, softly, no, you can't kill people because if you kill people, two wrongs don't make a right. And, you know, you have to, like, you know, you have to reproach and rehabilitate people. No, that's fucking bullshit. Tell you what term we don't have in Arabic, repeat offenders, because the Saudis, they execute rapists. Yeah. That's is touches on the subject and what it touches on the subject of this american who recently was executed um i think he's called oh, yeah. brandon i can't remember the son name but um yeah, the, the, don't you believe that when people commit crimes like murder for example that they could be remorseful over a number of years um and repent. That's point number one. Point number two, don't you also um, believe that what if you get it absolutely wrong? What if it's the wrong person that you are uh, sentencing to death and there's a case of mistaken identity or there's something else? How do you tackle those issues? Well, and I, and, and I, just before you well, said that, safe, I know that some people will find it um, uh, interesting that I am not going straight and saying I support the yes death penalty as a dictator because I am benevolent. <laughs> You're the dictator. first dictator that doesn't support the death penalty. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I'm the first because I have seen I have seen uh, mistakes made. I have mm. seen people. Uh, being executed wrongly and uh, one part of me and I, I think I blame the fact that I have spent a lot of time in the West so I think the the democratic principles have, have at times clouds my judgment uh, but on a serious note mm. you know those points that I have made can you address them of course I can and I'll tell you Stern first off as a Muslim being raised a Muslim, I, but being raised a Muslim in a Western country, so obviously I don't walk around the streets of London, you know, going Sharia law, Sharia law, you know, no, no, of course not, you know, like, um, but in Sharia law, there are three possible consequences of murder which are to be decided by the victim's family. So hypothetically, if Joe Bloggs killed the daughter of somebody, and it's still in the early stages of the crime investigation, forensics, etc. And you're absolutely right. Um, it is very possible to make mistakes, wrongful convictions. You hear about it all the time. It's a, it's, it's a ghastly... Uh, it is a horrible consequence in society when evidence is not gathered and you don't have a, a beyond a reasonable doubt. You have concrete 100%, but you're not 100%. Anyway, the three consequences are either to be decided by the victim's family is either forgiveness. They can take the, the they, the family of the victim can turn around and say, we forgive him. We forgive her. Demand financial compensation 
which is obviously something that would be decided by the courts, not <laughs> like they wouldn't go, we want a hundred thousand dollars for the death of our dog. Because how do you put a price tag on someone's life? And the third consequence is the death penalty. If they feel, no, we can't forgive, money is not going to take away the pain. How dare you kill an eye for an eye? And it's, it's very interesting because I, I make a joke a lot about me being 27 in years of age, even though I have 50 shades of gray beard, but I was born the same year that America decided to bring back the death penalty. And since the return of the death penalty, 1976, in case your viewers or listeners are wondering, there have been around over 8,000 executions since. Now that sounds like it might not be a lot, but again, the mindset of what goes on. And, and it's a very, it's obviously, you know, to decide in society who gets to live, who gets to die, who gets to continue, who gets to thrive, you know, who gets to exist, who gets to, th it's, it's a very, it can be a tricky subject, obviously. I mean, and some people are going, and how dare you put racism and rape on? Well, I'll address those two subjects on a different matter. In terms of rape, maybe, you know, it's the comedian in me that thinks racism should be punishable by death. I don't think it should be punishable by death, realistically. I think a racist should spend time. I think, like, if somebody is a white supremacist, they should be sent to Africa. They should be sent to an African country for for 11 years, spend time in different African countries, African cultures to get over their ignorance. Because believe it or not, in my youth, I would be around other Arabs. And there's a well-known stereotype that Arabs hate Jews, Jews hate Arabs, Arabs hate Christians, Christians don't mind the Arabs. No, it's that's complete bullshit because in every group denomination whatever your race religion creed or whatever you're going to have some kind of prejudices but in my youth i would be around people that exhibited bias and prejudice towards people of a jewish heritage and it took me moving to egypt to realize how absurd how insane and how stupid racism is um i used to be a teacher a history teacher and one day i came into my class and found because we were covering germany the rise of germany and uh, they were ninth graders so the the, the average age is 14. Mm -hmm. and somebody had drawn a swastika on the front desk in pencil which means that they're not a, they, they don't have like convictions of their racism. They're sort of like, I'm a racist, but I'm going to do it in pencil so I can like rub it away if I change my mind, you know? So they drew a swastika and I asked the class, who drew the swastika? Yeah. Dead silence. Who drew the swastika? Dead silence. And then I turned around and said, okay, FYI, all of you, your great grandparents would have been next on the train. Yeah. You know, um, so it's seeing that kind of stupidity, 
that kind of racial bigotry in my in my home country it, it broke my heart because it's sort of like when you see when you're in it'd be like anyone this is a crazy analogy but it'd be like some white american that isn't necessarily but prejudiced or biased towards african americans yeah. but he has got his biases but he doesn't make it outspoken yeah. then he goes and spends time deep in the heart of ku klux klan county you know deep in the heart of the mississippi deep in the heart of alabama deep in the heart of where people are like we don't like your kind you know like one of those places <laughs> they would learn to overcome their own biases and prejudices yeah. but uh, it's very hard to say concrete with a clear conscience about the death penalty i mean it's very it's it's a very uh salacious and seditious statement to make you know that oh i think everyone but i again i mean when you look at people that have that are victims or survivors of sexual assault or sexual rape they are changed forever and i honestly you know like i mean one term you don't hear in arabic because there is no arabic word for it is repeat offender mm-hmm. a guy in britain goes out rapes a 70 year old grandmother kills her gets like x amount of years in jail and then i get people tell me oh you've never spent time in a british prison mate you don't know what a british prison is law in it you know be like dude i might not have being in a prison but i can imagine that a prison is not a great place to live in my view my view safe in terms of rape is that they should be castrated yeah but then you see this is the thing about the castration part and i'll it's funny you should say that because other people say the same and then i always say yeah but the most dangerous organ in a rapist is not necessarily between their legs it's between their ears because that is where take the ears off <laughs> no lobotomize them obviously a lobotomy mm. do an old school lobotomy where they don't mm. remember and they don't mm. know because mm. the decision to rape is one thing but then some of those rapists that have been castrated might turn around and then go to darker urges and become a serial killer yeah so i think i mean castration is one way chemical castration is another Yeah. Um but I honestly I just think why go through the hassle of trying to rehabilitate someone who's been chemically or physically castrated just fucking kill them. Yeah. Just yeah. kill rapists. That it might be harsh, might be strong, but any of your listeners or viewers that have been survivors or victims of sexual assault will be like Yeah. You know, yeah. like it's it's horrible. Um, okay so we've 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 spoken about um climate change you've covered um what you would do about racism you've covered what you would do about um uh rape um as well yeah so you've covered happy subjects happy subjects three happy subjects um that you have touched on in terms of Uh, if you were in charge of ruling the world are there any others that you thought about one thing one thing if i could do and i would start in egypt with this is the removal of car horns oh well we have um 
we don't particularly have that problem unless, unless they are driving gigs. <laughs> I say yeah. we, I say we, because I've spent so much time in England. <laughs> I can't wait to go back to Gagdad, to be honest with you, but yeah. In Gagdad, we don't have drive-in, at least we have convertibles so that we can all get COVID. Yeah, 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 we can all get COVID. Yes. Why Cajons? What's wrong with Cajons? Um, anyone who's ever been to Egypt will tell you that the cacophony of noise that you hear from the car horns, it, to quote my mother, it really beats on the nerves. Yeah. Because, put it this way, I don't know if in Gagdad or in Britain there are languages and phrases that have been invented on the car horn. Yeah. But here in Egypt, we have invented car horn language. Like we have swearing, we have, uh, uh, we have all kinds of, um, it's just noise. It's unnecessary noise. People yeah. like, I'll, I'll give you a great example in, in, in the UK on the highway code book, it's illegal to honk your horn from 11 PM to 7 AM. Yeah. And the only time you're allowed to legally honk your horn is in fog at a zebra crossing, or if you're on a bend, if you're on like driving around a bend so that another person, if you may or may not know if there's another driver coming at you here in Egypt, it is literally language it is yeah. literally sort of like you feel like drivers have one hand on the steering wheel one hand on the gear stick and then a third robotic hand that just does this the whole way through it's like as soon as they're it, it, they turn the ignition they're like let me make sure the car horn is working yep okay you know like how pilots in world war ii yeah. they'd be like contact bombardier to bombardier general checking the engines checking left rudder checking the right rudder checking the tail rudder checking machine guns Bombardier, we are clear for takeoff. In Egypt, in Egypt, you were like, Bombardier, steering left work, left indicator work, right indicator work, car horn. Car horn works. You know, it's like non, it's like they're addicted to honking the horn. I, I, uh. Yeah. Well, don't you think, because there's a view that, um, certainly my view is that we should just get rid of cars and go back to where we were before these cars horses. were invented. Yes, horses, ships, goats. I think it'll be a lot cheaper to take care of horses. I mean, on a cold morning, you don't have, you know, you, you won't have to warm them up too much. It's your body temperature. If you're riding the horse, yeah. that, that horse, you can give them blankets, you know, I think actually, I, th I like the idea of returning to horse drawn carriages and 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 chariots and just getting all the his like literally like like oh look at that guy number 22 he's got a roman chariot he's liking the antique style mm. isn't it you know and mm. and get victorian style I, I like that idea of going back to horse drawn carriages mm. i mean like literally cars are just i mean on the one hand they're great they have benefits they have benefited society and and the and the terms of transportation and interconnectivity and everything but at the same time i mean 
Okay, I was going to say you can't kill yourself with a horse, but in a way you kind of can because a horse, if a horse steps on you, you're kind of crushed. You know what? You were talking about, we're talking about horses as a way of just replacing cars, but that means that there'll be no longer be any dogging, no more dogging, you know, no more car dogging. Actually, there will be dogging watching the horses. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Look, become like there will be like, and then you get those Thai sex shows that love to involve a donkey and a woman. It's, yeah, yeah. It's... Um, Saif, um, I've got good news for you. The good news is that you have broken the record in terms of uh, guests who have spoken for so long. Um... <laughs> so that's uh, number one. <laughs> The bad news is I'm going to have to cut a lot of this. Uh, the bad news is, and it's not bad news actually, uh, I, 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 I should have told you that I don't edit any of this. I just put it out there so there's, not, there's nothing that is going to be cut out in any shape or form. So don't worry about that because I'm, you know, sure I, I, I'm, you doing, get... I'm doing my best to practice uh, freedom of speech. And as far as I'm concerned, freedom of speech is just let people say what they want to say. Don't cut anything out because people need to hear. That's my understanding of freedom of speech. Don't edit anything. Just let them say what they have to say. So there's no editing. So it's just to say that you have spoken the longest and that is, uh, I value your time. Uh, Mr. President, the, thank you. Yeah. I, I, I know that uh, I, if anyone makes it the distance and watches the whole podcast and you've got a diehard fan if anyone listens to this and they've reached this point in life the secret of life and happiness is to be good to other people and not be a prick well it's interesting you say that because um i never really given it any thought in terms of uh how long uh people would want to listen to a podcast i genuinely believe that if the conversation is Riveting. going riveting and uh, interesting and it's subjects that they want to hear uh, then they will stay as long as it takes depending on where they are some might be uh, watching or listening to this whilst they're driving on the road so if they've got a long journey uh, they will listen to it uh, if not they know what happens if they don't uh, and now they've the, reached it here. Now we will talk about the mating rituals of the cricket. Of the cricket. Or they might be cooking. It depends. But um, it's it's always a pleasure to to have guests who want to talk about specific subjects. And it's always a pleasure to know that there are people downloading and listening to this uh, podcast. So uh, I would say that it's been such a very interesting uh conversation I've had with you for well over an hour. Uh, we've spoken about windows. I've learned a lot about windows. We've spoken about international politics. We've uh, touched on Middle East. Assassinations. We say assassinations. We've spoken about what we should do about rape, cars, climate change, and racism. So we've covered... Uh, 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 we've covered everything except the kitchen sink. Except the kitchen sink. So. I'd like to thank you immensely for finding the time uh, and spend, spending quality time with me today. Um, uh, one final word from you before I end this abruptly, which is what I normally do as a dictator. <laughs> uh, well, I'll be doing my own podcasts 
soon, which you are going to be hopefully my second guest on. Uh, second, backstage. Second, second guest is not good enough. I should always be first. Make sure you don't well, you'll make definitely that be my first. You'll, you'll be my first dictator, that is for sure. Okay, okay. Um, it's just because of scheduling. I mean, unless you're able to see me tonight, then you'll be my first. But uh, um, basically, it's called Backstage Chronicles, and it's going to be co comedians talking about the the life behind the stage, uh, writing gags, interacting with audiences after a show, before a show, and other pursuits of projects of creativity. So it's a should be interesting. Uh, I've never done a podcast with others before, so it should be interesting. Well, you um, can use, use you could use this as a, as an example. Just don't copy uh, my bad habits, <laughs> if there are any. <laughs> I don't think you have any bad habits, <laughs> except being based in the UK. Um, yeah, don't worry, I'm out of it soon. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I'm actually hoping to be back there myself. I'm out of it, I'll be taking some fish with me. <laughs> just disguise yourself as a French fisherman and they'll yeah, just deport you. Right I'm just too Look, it's been fantastic. Uh, enjoy the rest of your day. Take care of those windows. They are lovely windows. Um, I have fallen in love with those windows. They, they look really nice. Um, and like I said, um, take care of yourself and uh, we'll catch up soon. Uh, that's the end of my podcast. This is episode 16. Um, we are churning them out like we're at war with uh, Europe. Um, I hope you've enjoyed this uh, episode. Extra long. Extra long, but extra crispy extra cripsy uh, and uh, good, good, really good discussion. Really, really good discussion. And one I enjoyed things, it. I, I, thor I thoroughly enjoyed it. And what we, what we haven't explored is the fact that um, apart from the fact that Safe is a comedian, he's also a very great impressionist, as you can see. Um, you know, you know, it comes to my attention that I still demand the elections be a recount because I'm the most amazing president other than my esteemed guest and host for having me. I mean, if I was doing podcasts, they'd be very much like this, probably be better, probably be in the Oval Office while I can still do them there. Guys, on that note, thank you so much. See you soon. Bye. This show is part of Podomity, the podcast comedy network. We're the best kept secret on Acast. Why not laugh at what else we've got? Check out podomity.com now.